1: Welcome back, everybody. Once again, this is Mark Lawrence along with Victor King, and we're all set, as always, to go against the spread on this week's NFL and college football cards. It's week number two in the National Football League, and all set. I think the NFL got off to a pretty strong debut last week. We're going to talk about that and circle back and overview a little bit of the college football card from last week as well. Before we do that, I want to welcome in our co-host Victor King from King Creole Sports, and Victor... All and I hope you're doing well throughout this COVID crisis and hope you had a good week last week.
2: Yeah, certainly did, Mark. Have a uh, good weekend. Now, before we get into any sort of uh, NFL talk or college football talk, we've got to talk a little bit about pro basketball, particularly down here in South Florida. This is the place to be these days with our Miami Heat. Game one victorious over the Boston Celtics on Tuesday night in overtime fashion. You had a three-star play on Miami on your service Good start to the championship uh, Eastern Conference round, definitely. And wow, what a team. Let's see here. A four-game sweep over Indiana. Defeated the best team in basketball in five games. A game one win against a very difficult Boston Celtics team. And uh, how about that Miami Heat, Mark? Uh, We won't even get to the second game, but it is a great time to be a South Florida sports fan.
1: Yeah, to say the least. And, uh, you know, we got uh, in our coffee club emails that we do each and every day. One of our good coffee club regulars is a fellow named Storman Norman from Philadelphia. And he sent me an email last night, and I have it in Wednesday's coffee club. And uh, basically his comment was, what a classy organization the Miami Heat has from top to bottom. uh, From Mickey Arizon, the owner, to Pat Riley, to Eric Spolstra, uh, as opposed to where he comes from, Philadelphia. And how uh, disenfranchised that franchise is that, you know, they just can't seem to get it right. And he says it's totally refreshing to watch the Miami Heat and perform in the manner in which they do. And my comment back to him was, yes, we do. And don't be at all surprised if Miami ends up winning the NBA playoffs this year because they're playing with a lot of momentum right now.
2: Yeah, definitely. And, you know, Mark, in that second game last night, there's going to have to be some accountability for the L.A. Clippers, you want to talk one of the biggest choke jobs in NBA playoff history, 3-1 to one series lead over Denver. So Denver becomes the first team in playoff history to come back from 3-1 to one deficits twice in the same postseason. Not only that, the biggest money line underdog in a series. They were plus 6-10 against the L.A. Clippers, and that was the biggest uh, underdog to come in in a playoff series since the Chicago Bulls back in 2012. And if you want me to go on a little mini rant, I want accountability. I want accountability from Doc Rivers, from Kawhi Leonard, who went, what, six for 22 for only 14 points, no points in the fourth quarter. I want accountability from Paul George, who went four for 16 for 10 points, no points in the fourth quarter. And I'll just say this, if this was a LeBron James-led team, Mark, he'd be catching all kinds of crap today from the media. So... For the L.A. Clippers, who were supposed to be, you know, playing the L.A. Lakers in the Western Conference Finals, I want to hear some accountability because that was a big choke job last night in Game 7.
1: Yeah, that would have been a dream matchup. The Lakers and the Clippers didn't come to be. And one other interesting note that I had read along the way, that the Clippers going into that game, Victor, were 0-7 in chances to close out a series to advance to the Conference Finals. Now they're 0-8. In chances to win in advance, and they choked, like you say, big time last night, or I should say Tuesday night, with that loss to the Denver Nuggets and tip of the hat for the Nuggets, playing a little bit like Miami in the Western Conference, upstarting everybody. Victor, let's switch it over to the college football side of things real quick, real quickly here. Uh, The uh, Big Ten announced, uh, this is Wednesday morning, we do the podcast, and they announced that they confirmed that they will be starting college football October 24th this season. Which is really good news for the sport of college football because they are badly needed. And I would expect to perhaps see the Pac 12 follow suit here shortly, which means we can get college football back to some regular semblance that we are used to knowing. And uh, I know their reservation or their hesitation was largely over the coronavirus and the positive test situation. And uh, we had come across the fact that uh, the Big 12 who took their lumps last week, Had Texas Tech had reported 75 players testing positive since the month of June. You also had, uh, from them, LSU, had their coach say that almost every player has caught the virus. It was to be expected, and now we can move on. I don't know if, if I'm Dr. Fauci. I'm not agreeing with that at all, that assessment. Uh, as a football fan, I like it, but I don't know if I do from a health perspective, especially for young kids. Uh, where do you see the Big Ten fitting into the college football picture this year, Victor? And do you foresee the college football season playing to a full conclusion?
2: Who knows? Uh, I say no. And, and I say that from the perspective of the guy that's trying to keep up to date with our college football databases in which games seem to be canceled on a daily basis and then added on a daily basis. We don't have too much news as far as the Big Ten other than the plan is to return on October 24th. But I'll say this, it was a difficult weekend, as you mentioned, for the Big 12. Bad losses. As you just touched on, big numbers of missing players. They're weighing down the league. That's that's for certain. Abject busts last week by what Iowa State, beaten by the Raging Cajuns by Kansas State, beaten by Arkansas State, and by Kansas, who lost to Coastal Carolina. That's what I call a uh, unholy trinity of upsets and at the hands of teams from the Sun Belt Conference, which are traditionally, you know, the lowest rung on the uh, FBS ladder. So very difficult for those three schools, uh, not to mention the fact that, uh, you know, the, you just touched on, on it, the Kansas football team was declared a COVID cluster by their uh, State of the health, and environment last week. The Oklahoma State game was canceled last week because Tulsa, uh, the team tested, uh, tested positive. The TCU, they had their game against SMU postponed because of COVID issues. The same thing happened in Baylor. And, you know, I'll give a little credit to the power duo, Oklahoma and Texas, who won easily last week. But, you know, the competition was non-existent though. What, Missouri State and UTEP? You know, it's not going to be too difficult to defeat those two teams. But a rough week for the Big 12, and it's uh, not going to get any easier.
1: No, it's certainly not going to get any easier. My main concern here is this, Victor, is that in the acceptance of positive COVID tests, I'm afraid that they're going to move into the direction of approaching these like they're accepting a flu test. Nothing more. And nothing can be further from the truth because anybody that does test positive for the COVID-19 virus has after effects from positive tests. I'm talking about organs, hearts, so forth and whatnot. And uh, it's it's concerning to me from a health perspective. So hopefully uh, maybe this virus does get a lid put on it and we can move forward and enjoy the sport that we've come to learn and love. And we'll keep a, a closer handle on that each week as we do each week throughout the season in our playbook football newsletter. With that, Victor, let's switch it over to the NFL side of things. And before I hand it off to you to go over the numbers of what we saw on a pretty successful opening week in the National Football League. One quick little mini rant, if you will, and what on earth happened with Vic Fangio and the Denver Broncos Monday night. I think Vic fell asleep at the switch uh, watching the end of that football game. I couldn't believe what I was seeing. Here's a football team that had all three timeouts in his back pocket and let the Tennessee Titans march down the field to kick a game-winning field goal and didn't exercise any one of those timeouts, didn't allow his team an opportunity or a chance to win. I think bottom line, as I mentioned in the coffee club today, Vic you just had a brain fart. And uh, it's, a, it's a classic case of a coach who is a, fo- a defensive coordinator who is – remaining as a defensive coordinator whose focus is on the defense not being involved in the game. And I think you're going to end up seeing an assigned offensive coordinator here at Denver pretty soon. But that was just you know, one initial take I had on what I would call a little bit uh, of a coaching mishap in a boneheaded play that way in the National Football League. Fortunately for us, we used the Denver Broncos in the game and it did not matter. I would have been livid had Tennessee (laughs) gone on and scored a touchdown. Right. (laughs) Absolutely livid, and I would have gone off on a rant. But uh, right. we got but, the cover,
2: but, though. That's the that's the key. You got the cash. Y-
1: yes, we did. So we'll call that a mini rant, if you will. Uh, Victor, if you would, if you'd run some numbers by uh, our listeners out there of what happened in the National Football League from a point spread over under total perspective, that'd be great.
2: I got some results for you, but since you're on a rant, for me, <laughs> any game in which Adam Gase is the head coach gets me spitting, or in a rant, or swearing, and uh, I, I was foolish enough to use the New York Jets as one of my plays in the uh, circle contest last week. And uh, after one quarter, I was already lamenting that particular play. You want to talk about an ugly game, particularly in the first half. The Jets stunk in all phases. Their defense was jumping off sides. They were committing playground pass interference calls, getting pushed around at the line of scrimmage, punt coverage shoddy, just completely, completely embarrassing. And I know in his mind he probably thought his Jets were unprepared but guessed that the play would be sloppy all across the NFL due to the COVID restrictions. But, man, this guy, uh, he makes me rant every time I watch a Jets game, and I'll just kind (laughs) of get that off my chest. But let's get into the NFL, if you will. And uh, in a very uncertain week one, the most uncertain week one in NFL history, if you came away with a profitable Sunday and Monday, then uh, good for you. I know we did here at Playbook. Let's see, Mark, we lost our play on the Browns on Sunday, came back strong with the Cardinals as a three-star play, an outright underdog win over the 49ers. And then, as you mentioned, the four-star play on the Denver Broncos as your opening week play of the year. Uh, They didn't win, but they got the cash, and that's a pretty cool start. Uh, We had a pretty cool start with our King Creole service as well. The only college football play that we uh, were on on Saturday was the under in the Clemson-Wake Forest game, and that was a nice easy easy double-digit winner. And then we followed it up on Sunday with the the over-of-the-week winner in the Saints-Buccaneers game, a game that we perhaps didn't deserve to win based on the fact that I think both offenses looked pretty bad in that particular game, but we'll take a win. And then, of course, we came back on Monday night with our total service. With a nice winner in the Giants and the Steelers under the total. So, a uh, nice opening weekend profit for our King Creole service as well. But I do have the numbers, and it was a good week one in the NFL for the underdogs. Eight, seven, and one ATS down. That's not earth shattering numbers. I understand that against the spread for underdogs. Home dogs went four and two against the spread. That was fairly interesting. The significant part was the fact that of those eight underdogs that covered the spread mark, seven out of those eight won their games outright. Seven outright week one underdog wins, and that's very, very big because we know that when a favorite not only does not cover the point spread but loses the game outright, that's going to destroy a lot of people in survivor pools. That's going to destroy this new hot way of betting where people like Parlaying together big money line teams or money line favorites to win their game outright. And with so many outright underdog, uh, excuse me, favorite losses, that destroys those people that like parlaying those favorites together. In terms of over-unders, nine and seven over-under in week one. That's nine overs and seven unders. At one point, it looked like almost every single game was going to go over the total as eight of the first ten games on the week one schedule, ended up going over the total. But once we got into the late afternoon on action on Sunday, we started settling into a fairly consistent under pattern with two of the three late afternoon games going under the total, the Sunday night game going under the total, and both Monday night games under the total. I imagine when we talk to Andy a little bit later, he'll probably mention it was an outstanding week for the sports books with, again, all that under action hitting in the um, primetime games and the fact that there were so many outright favorite losses in the NFL. But uh, a good week overall for the dogs, and a few more overs and unders. A little bit surprising to me, but we'll definitely take it. And again, anybody who came away with a profit in week one, uh, good for you. Let's move on to week two then.
1: We're going to look forward to moving on to week number two, and we're also going to look forward, Victor, to our preview of our NFL football game of the week we're gonna have that on tap when Vic and I come back with more here on Mark Lawrence Against the Spread.
0: All new Play tokens are here. Only the Playbook Experts VIP Experience
2: offers We Pay the Juice Conflict Game Notices Tokens Bonuses SMS Alerts And Genius Game Alerts It's the only customer experience of its kind. To find out more about becoming a Playbook Experts VIP, log on today at Playbook.com. Or call toll free for more information at 1 800 Playbook. Become a VIP this football season with your Playbook Experts VIP membership.
0: Welcome back to Mark Lawrence Against the Spread. Now, back to the show.
1: Hey, welcome back, everybody. This is Mark Lawrence along with Victor King, and we're going against the spread on this week number two National Football League card and delving into college football as well. It's time for our featured NFL Game of the Week segment, and we've got a dandy on tap inside the AFC West Division on Sunday when the defending champion Super Bowl champion Kansas City Chiefs traveled to Los Angeles to take on the Chargers at brand-new SoFi Stadium. Victor, how do you see the showdown between the Chiefs and the Chargers shaping up from an over-under total perspective?
2: You know, there's been some major moves in this uh, game, both from a side perspective and an over-under perspective. I've seen the Chiefs open up as six-point road favorites, and they're already up to eight, in some cases even eight-and-a-half on the road in uh, SoFi Stadium as they take on the 1-0 Chargers. And from a over-under perspective, it opened at 51. I right away played the game under the total at that number of 51. And what I noticed on Monday and Tuesday while working on the totals tip sheet is that there has been a steady, very steady diet of smart, what I consider smart, under money in the last 24 to 48 hours pouring in on the under in this particular game. It's no surprise that it's gone all the way down to 48 in some cases 47 and a half the line has already moved three and a half points toward the under and again i have to assume that uh, there are some major steam moves and cash that are hitting the under making three unique instances of betters with the resources to move the entire market getting down on that side of the total and that's definitely the way I'm going in this particular game. Yes, the series has been pretty high scoring in the last two seasons, three and one over-under. That's three overs, one under. Average line, 50. Average score, 54. Average margin, plus 4.0 points per game. But that's almost the only thing I can find in regards to this game potentially going over the total. What I do know, as far as the Chargers go, that it it does not matter where they play. San Diego or in a soccer stadium in Carson, California, or in their first game ever in their combined uh, L.A. home, SoFi Stadium, which will occur this particular week. In either case, the Chargers are the best home under team in the NFL in division play. We can go all the way back, Mark, to the 1989 season. So we're talking 30 years. Charger home games against same division opponents, 32 overs, 78 unders since 1989. That's an across-the-board 71% under the total. And I can even tighten that up to 1-15 and over-under in games 2 through 15 of the season. So if we eliminate game 1 and we eliminate game 16, Charger home games have gone under the total 15 out of 16 times in division play. And since the 2015 season... How about a perfect 0-10 to the under? Zero overs, 10 unders. And not only are these games going under when Chargers host fellow AFC West Division opponents, but by huge margins, too. The average margin over these last 10 games, minus 12.8 points per game. That's a double-digit margin pointing toward the under. I know people love playing their chief overs. This is one of those weeks where you either bet the under or you lay off, folks. Definitely. Uh, Let's see here what I got in regards to the Chiefs. They are off a Thursday home game against the Houston Texans, and don't get seduced by the fact that that game went over the total. It did so by only a half a point, and because of a late Houston backdoor touchdown, that really didn't mean anything. But anyway, from the database, one and nine over under since 2016, so this covers a three- to four-year pattern. NFL favorites off a Thursday home win that went over the total. These games have gone one and nine over under. It applies to the Chiefs in this particular week. Another reason that uh, I'm definitely betting the under in this particular game is look at the point spread. The Chiefs are laying more than a touchdown on the road. Uh, if you followed our over unders, you know that the bigger the road favorite is, the higher the percentage that the under comes in in NFL games. Uh, how about this from the database, 5-25 and over-under in the last six years when the road team is savored by more than seven points and the over-under is 45 or more points. These games have gone 5-25 and over-under. Again, it applies to the to this division game this week with the Chiefs and the Chargers. Uh, and finally, uh, we got the fact that the Chargers, they went across the country last week. It was a low-scoring but exciting win over the Cincinnati Bengals and Joe Burrow. And, by the way, Joe, I don't like the mustache that you got right now. Uh, Gardner (laughs) Minshew does it much, much better. Uncle Rico's mustache is number one in the NFL, that's for sure. But, anyway, I digress. I've got one more system that's gone 1-13 over-under in our database since 2001. Underdogs of a field goal or more off a straight-up road favorite win. And the Chargers were road favorites last week in which they scored and allowed less than 17 points. The final score of that game was 16-13. to 13. These games have gone 1-13 and 13 to the under, and again, I'm with the sharp money in this game. You're going to want to play it as soon as possible, folks. We're going to make the cutoff anything at 46. If it drops below 46, it's probably going to be a no-play, but uh, it's currently at 47.5. Uh, it's going to be the under or pass this week in this particular game, and we think it'll be pretty low scoring. You know, the Chargers are going to do everything they can to slow this game down and keep in it themselves. So, yeah, we're going under with the Chiefs Chargers.
1: I can see that, Victor. The Chargers game plan being keep the ball out of Patrick Mahomes' hands. Uh, You don't have to be a a rocket scientist to figure that out. Uh, And I love the stats that Victor comes up in the game. He's going to go under 46 or better points for his side in the Chargers-Chiefs game on Sunday. Taking a look at this game, when you open up the database and I look at either the coaches or the quarterbacks, and we keep records on both, we have a quarterback and a coaches league part part of our database here. When you open up Patrick Mahomes, you see nothing but positive numbers. Dynamite positive point spread numbers because he's done nothing but win games and cover spreads since he's been a starting quarterback with the Chiefs. And with it, the value just continues to keep growing and growing. As Victor mentioned, this game opened up at minus six. is up to minus eight and a half on Wednesday. The public just cannot get enough of Patrick Mahomes and the Kansas City Chiefs. And I can completely understand the reasons why. In fact, in the opening month of September with Kansas City, Mahomes has never lost a football game. He's 8-0 and straight up and 7-1 and against the spread. And he looks to be a very, very popular public choice. But I'm going to say this. Value enters into the picture into almost every handicap. You can either make a case to fade that favorite or take advantage of the value, play the game, or at least use it for insurance to stay out of the play. And that's one of the most key critical factors when it comes to handicapping is using something to keep you out of a play. It saves you from a loser and it saves you the 11 to 10 juice in doing just that. So if we can't cash this ticket, at least we're going to play the insurance card and stay out of the Kansas City side of this football game. Other reasons being defending Super Bowl champions as Kansas City happens to be, they're just set 10 and 17 to the spread in game number two of the NFL season. 3 and 13 to the spread in game two is when they go out as road favorites. And you take a look at Andy Reid's dossier, and as good as it's been, it's much like Patrick Mahomes. He's loaded with nothing but positive ATS spread numbers because he cashes tickets. But Andy Reid has struggled. He's wallowed, I should say, in game twos of the, of his career in the National Football League. He's only 9-10 and 10 straight up and against the spread in game number two. A lot of value here looking at the L.A. Chargers in this football game. They're led by a steady, if not not a spectacular, but a steady quarterback in Tyrod Taylor. He's 14-8-1 straight up in his NFL career at home in the games that he started. This is the largest home dog that the Chargers have been in this series dating back to 1997, uh, largely due to the fact that, again, you're talking about the defending champion, Super Bowl champion Chiefs coming in here led by Patrick Mahomes. Also, a nice, neat little stat for the Chargers here. They're 13-7-1 to the spread as division dogs off a win, taking on an opponent off a win. So this is a nice roll, comfortable role for the Chargers in this contest. You know, while there aren't going to be any fans in the stands at this beautiful new SoFi Stadium, it will be nothing new to the Chargers because, as you know, when they left San Diego to move to Los Angeles, they had no fan support there anyway. Uh, So they're not going to be losing out on anything in this instance or the situation this particular week. And I'm going to close this all out with an awesome angle from this week's Playbook Football Newsletter, and this is a beauty. uh, Contained inside our awesome angle Uh, It tells us to play in any Game 2 home dog in the National Football League if both teams in this game were favored in Game 1. That's really rather simple. Favorite, favorite, now a home dog in Game 2. These teams are 13-1 against the point spread since 2010. That all goes to favoring the L.A. Chargers, and I'll grab them plus the 8.5 points with plenty of value in this game for my side in Sunday showdown between KC and L.A. You're tuned in to Mark Lawrence Against the Spread, the nation's most popular sports handicapping talk show. It's time for one of our favorite segments on the show as we hop out to Las Vegas to get the Vegas vibe from our good friend Andy Isco from TheLogicalApproach.com in Las Vegas. And Andy, now that the National Football League is off the Schneid college football is here. I hope the football wars are treating you well.
3: Well, thanks, Mark. I uh, appreciate the uh, introduction And I think that uh, so far, based on week one, I was very pleased with the results, hopefully a harbinger of uh, things to come. Uh, I will note, by the way, I I caught the last part of your discussion about the uh, Chargers game this week. And if you go back to last year, just another little bit of information that might uh, guide folks, they played twice. And both games, the Chargers covered by one point, and the second game was a push. So in other words, the linesmaker did a very good job last year in the games between the Chiefs and Chargers uh looking at uh at week 1 however i was very pleased and you know of course we'll talk about the contest no surprise there were a number of 5 and 0s also no surprise the circus survivor contest lost a lot of entrants with uh, teams like San Francisco uh, Philadelphia and especially Indianapolis uh, being outright upset
1: yeah i'll be curious about that we'll hit on that in just a moment about the that new circus survivor contest We're visiting with Andy Isco from TheLogicalApproach.com in Las Vegas, publisher of one of the most outstanding football newsletters you can put your hands on. I suggest you log on at TheLogicalApproach.com and download Andy's football newsletter for the week. It'll be a, a visit you'll be glad you made, and you'll also pick up a lot of great insight and football winners for the weekend. And speaking about football winners, Andy... I know that the Westgate and the Circa both officially opened their contests last week, and last week when we visited, we didn't quite know yet how many official entries they had because they were still ongoing, and I'm sure you've got those final numbers to share with us this week.
3: Yes, I do, and in fact, I didn't get a chance to fully assess what happened this past weekend because it was the opening week, and usually things sort themselves out, although there were some 5-0s and O's in both of the main contests. Uh, let's start with the uh, Super Contest Classic. That's the traditional, original uh, contest that uh, was uh, initiated back when it was the, uh, uh, the Las Vegas Hilton back in the late 1980s. They had a little over 3,300 entrants last year in that contest. That's the one with the $1,500 entry fee. You pick five games a week against a static point spread. We knew entries would be down, and for quite a while this summer, it looks as though they would be down by uh, two-thirds or more. Uh, They ended up getting 1,172 entries, which is almost uh, a third of what they had last year. The Super Contest Gold saw a similar decrease. That's the $5,000 winner-take-all contest. They had about 120 last year. This year, 72 contestants ponied up the $5,000 for an opportunity to collect $360,000 if they can uh, have the best record after 85 selections and 17 weeks are in. The circus is where all the interesting uh, information is because that's the contest uh, that was sponsored last year. They had one contest last year called the Circa Million. It carried a million and a half dollar guarantee prize pool. It was a $1,000 entry contest and very much patterned after uh, the Westgate contest, five games a week against a static point spread. For much of the summer last year, it didn't appear they'd get the 1,500 entries needed to fully fund the guarantee. This year, uh, they, they ended up getting 1875, so they exceeded it by a considerable portion. With a flurry the last week, this year they upped the guarantee to a three million dollar prize pool. And I'll note that that guarantee was mentioned before the COVID nineteen was even on the radar. Back at uh, uh, in, in early January, they announced that the contest would start accepting selections in uh, in, in March. Uh, Derek Stevens, the owner of the New Circa Hotel, currently the D and the Golden Gate as well. Uh, stuck by his guns and said, no, we're going to continue with that $3 million guarantee. And for much of this summer, it also looked like there would be an overlay for the contestants as they were well short of the 3,000 entries that they needed. However, a late push over the last four or five days of the uh, leading up to the opening week of the NFL season, they ended up with 3,148 entrants, the excess of 148 no rake involved, by the way. All of that prize pool goes to the million-dollar guaranteed or gets added to the million-dollar guaranteed prize pool for the four quarterly prizes. Basically, if you entered either the Westgate, which also has the four quarterly prizes, or you entered the Circa Million, you basically have entered five contests, the main contest for the full season and the mini-contests that cover each of the four quarters of the season, weeks 1 to 4, 5 through 8, 9 through 12, and then the final five weeks of 13 through 17. So, that's uh, the en- number of entries that they had in the Circa Million. They also began a new contest considered uh, very much like the traditional King of the Hill, Last Man Standing, etc. It's a Survivor contest, carried a $1,000 entry fee. You pick a straight-up winner each week until you're eliminated. If you're not eliminated and you go 18-0, and 0, you would also get a $1,000,000 bonus. The overall contest itself offers a $1,000,000 prize for the final Survivor. Uh, There's a twist to this contest because the NFL season consists of 17 weeks. The contest consists of 18 weeks. The extra week comes in the form of the three Thanksgiving Day games. So for those contestants who are in the Survivor Contest, make sure you have at least one of the six teams that play on Thanksgiving Day. And my recommendation to folks is you probably want to hold on to the Dallas Cowboys. They will be the biggest favorite on Thanksgiving Day up against uh, the Washington football team. The other games, Houston, will be at Detroit on Thanksgiving Day. Those are two teams that are extremely unreliable. And the third game is one that you'd find it very difficult to say, this is the team I think is going to win because it's a traditional rivalry between Baltimore and Pittsburgh, which figures to be, as many of those rivalry games are between those two teams, about a field goal or less between the teams. So a little strategy involved there, a little unique twist. By the way, in addition to the million-dollar prize, a million-dollar bonus if anybody ends up winning the contest with a perfect 18-0 record, which means, by the way, if the contest has only one contestant left, let's say after 15 weeks, that contestant will continue to submit a weekly selection in the hopes of hope finishing out the season with that 18-0 record, qualifying for the bonus, and of course, because it's a straight-up contest, you cannot select a team more than one. So a great deal of strategy, a great deal of planning, is involved, and unfortunately about half the field were on those uh, three teams I mentioned uh, a few minutes ago, San Francisco, Philadelphia, and Indianapolis.
1: And Andy, how many was it you said any entries were in the survivor pool?
3: Okay, I think I neglected to mention 1,390. Uh, they needed 1,000 to meet the million-dollar guarantee. They exceeded that by almost 40%, and that's about the percentage, I believe, that was eliminated in the uh, first week. We'll see if form holds up a little better amongst the highly favored uh, teams. Interestingly enough, Indianapolis was a home team that uh, was a road team that fell. Uh, Washington was a home team that fell, that, that pulled the upset, and San Francisco was a home team that pulled uh, that was upset by uh, Arizona. So uh, three big favorites last week going down. Makes it interesting for the remaining 17 weeks.
1: So, Indy, I'm going to go on record as saying this, and this is probably the safest statement I may have ever made in my entire 40 years of handicapping in this industry that the Dallas Cowboys on Thanksgiving day will be the number one consensus pick in the survivor contest this year.
3: I would not only agree with that. I would say that unless somebody ends up using Dallas earlier, maybe because out of what they believe is necessity, not only will they be the number one selection on Thanksgiving day, They might be 90% of the participants' selections on Thanksgiving Day. It may very well be that high. Uh, It was interesting this past week, for example, nobody picked the Houston Texans on Thursday night against Kansas City. Not a total surprise, but Houston is not a bad football team relative to teams other than Kansas City. So we'll see what happens when people are faced with picking Washington on the road at Dallas as one of only three possible select three possible games to be picked that day
1: and Andy, I'm going to bring Victor into the conversation here right now if I may uh Victor joined the circuit contest uh, uh via Andy and his proxy service this year, and at the time Victor joined the circuit contest, it was looking an awful lot like it was going to be an overlay situation, but it ends up being thirty one hundred and forty eight entries, something closer to what the supergate uh, Westgate had last year, Victor. Your thoughts on thirty-one hundred and forty-eight entries? Uh, I'll tell you what my initial thought is: is that much like the uh, Westgate Superbook contest, when it topped out last year at over thirty-three hundred entries, some people may be aghast and say, "Oh my God, I've got to knock down you know thirty-two hundred ninety-nine people." But the majority of the of the cases, Andy, correct me if I'm wrong, is that you'll find a lot of squares that are filling out these tickets here, as opposed to the sharps, and you might find more of the more of the Sharps in the Supergate cont- Westgate than you do the circuit, am I correct?
3: I would think that this year it may actually be the opposite because of the popularity of the circuit contest and the COVID situation. But yes, there is a lot of square, so-called square money in these contests. A lot of people do it in the hopes of saying, hey, I do well in this contest, I've got recognition, I've got notoriety, I've now got credentials. Uh, but there are also a lot of Sharp people who not only enter the, who have entered the Westgate over the years, but have consistently finished in the money or within the top 25 or top 30 uh, year after year after year, sometimes in the top 10, sometimes maybe closer to like number 50. But you recognize the same years over and over. Of course, with me, this this is my 30th year in the Westgate contest, 30 different aliases.
1: Wow, 30 different aliases. So, Victor, your take on what happened in the Circa, good news or bad news, of 3,148 entries?
2: Uh, We went two and three to begin the uh, circuit contest playing five division underdogs in week one. Let me say this. I'm, I'm absolutely thrilled to not be in a survivor contest this season. (laughs) So I'm, I'm, I'm thrilled to not be in one number two, Andy. I know what I was getting into with the circuit contest. And again, appreciate your help so much. And when I say, I know what I was getting into in regards to it's a contest for NFL only. And it's sides only, favorites or underdogs only. So I think you know where I'm going with this, Andy. Why is it with all these contests in Vegas, the Westgate, the Westgate Classic, the Circa Million Contests, or at least what is your theory as to why they do not allow over-under wagering? You know, picking over-unders is not easier than picking sides in the NFL. It's about the same difficulty, if you ask me. So Andy, what is your theory? And... Who's going to be the first great contest to incorporate over-under wagering or bets? Well,
3: that's an an excellent question, Victor. And I think I do know the answer. I think we have the answer because the Golden Nugget contest, which combines college and pro selections, has been around for about six or seven years. And for the first few years, they not only had NFL totals in the contest, but they also had college totals in the contest. And what happened was because the lines are static, We usually see great movement in totals, especially as we get the weather reports late in the week. So what was happening is a lot of the contestants were focusing on those totals, and they said, for example, let's say the Rutgers-Pittsburgh total in the contest is 52.5, and now all of a sudden when the weather comes out on Thursday, let's say 24, 36 hours before the deadline, and the total moves down, the actual betting total moves down to 48. You'd have a lot of the contestants just playing the line moves, which are much more volatile and much more significant in totals than in in the NFL. They'd play under the 52.5 that was up there uh, at the start of the uh, contest week for that uh, Rutgers-Pittsburgh example, I think it was, that I used. Same thing in the NFL, especially as we got deeper into the season, meaning that the contests were winding down and therefore – the selections became even more important depending upon if you're looking to protect or extend a lead or you're looking to get into contention, they would play the most significant line moves and they felt that to make it a fair handicapping contest, whether rather than a move a move based contest, they did away with totals. The Westgate, I don't believe ever considered totals. I understand their thinking. But I also understand that playing line moves is a method of handicapping in and of itself, and if people right. want to use that as a, a strategy, they should be entitled to do so. Apparently, however, the uh, powers that be, I guess at the Golden Nugget it was, because they were the only ones running the contest, decided we want to make it more widespread. We want everyone to, f- to feel that they have a fair chance and they can actually handicap the games that uh, they use with uh, their methodology because handicapping line moves for side plays is nothing new at all. Uh, However, there are so many line moves and many of those line moves are very, very small that it does not come into play with the same degree as it does with totals, especially, as I mentioned, when you consider late season weather conditions.
1: You know, I got to say, guys, that was a great question and it was also a great follow-up answer. So we know exactly where and why the situations are, what they are in the contests in Las Vegas, specifically to over-under totals. And I know Victor will be hoping someday... Maybe perhaps when the castaways comes back, the over-under totals will be there, and I know Victor will be interested to say the least.
2: Or at least when we create our uh, king contest, all over-unders.
1: All over-unders, there you go.
3: (laughs) I I had that same thought that perhaps... uh, well, The problem is that the general public to a great extent still does not play over-unders to the same degree that they played traditional sides, and of course uh, many of those uh, uh, folks play them in parlays as well, so I think the prospects for a contest, I I would not be surprised, given the popularity that is increasing in over-unders, is that some place, whether it be in a state other than uh, Nevada or an offshore operation, might end up coming with uh, uh, an over-under contest just to test the waters for maybe one year at least and see what the level of uh, of popularity is, and that might uh, prompt them to consider going forward. I think that, unfortunately, the golden nugget model Uh, May not return, but things change all the time. So I wouldn't be surprised if it may be resurrected in some form in the next couple of seasons, especially as the industry seeks to rebound from uh, what's occurred over the past seven or eight months and may have an effect going forward. Maybe 2021 we'll see some uh, aggressive changes.
1: For those of you just tuning in, we're visiting with Andy Yesco from TheLogicalApproach.com in Las Vegas for our Vegas Vibe segment. And Andy, before I let you go on the show, I know our listeners would love to know what you've got on tap for your complimentary play in the NFL this weekend.
3: Well, last week I went with, I believe I went with Jacksonville, a home underdog. Yes. And this week I'm going to go with a road underdog that uh, actually did good things for me last week because I went against the Minnesota Vikings who were laying slightly under a field goal uh, in their game at home against the Green Bay Packers. I like the Green Bay Packers. I did not expect them to win uh, outright by scoring 43 points nor did I expect Minnesota uh, even though I was looking for them to lose I did not expect them to be allowing over 520 yards of total offense to the Green Bay Packers especially on their home field coach Mike Zimmer has been a very strong coach over the years uh, one of the best ATS coaches since he took over the Vikings early in the 2000 uh, teens decade uh, however he comes from a defensive background and I can be sure that he is very upset at the performance of his team last week. Not only did they allow 522 yards, they did not sack Aaron Rodgers at all, nor did they create any turnovers. They're going into Indianapolis this week, which, of course, was one of those teams that was upset last week when they went into Jacksonville, losing outright in Phillip Rivers' debut game with the Indianapolis Colts. And I expect that he will face some extreme pressure from an angry Minnesota defense while he's still trying to get accustomed to his new uh, set of receivers. They've got some running back concerns as well, and I'm looking for Minnesota to not just take the uh, uh, point spread cover. I think they're getting uh, plus three right now, Uh, the last time I looked in their uh, contest at Indianapolis. I expect them to win this game, but uh, rather than be greeting, although I will say the way that I play uh, uh, games where I'm taking plus three, part of it will be on the money line, part of it will be plus the three. It'll usually be about 60-40 On the points. When I'm playing an underdog, let's say uh, between one and two and a half, there'll be a greater percentage of my play on the money line as opposed to plus the points. Three is such a key number, and that's actually the topic in uh, my newsletter uh, this week and next, looking at the value of plus and minus three, depending upon your side of your bet. So with Minnesota getting plus three, I'll make a greater percentage of the play taking the points. But I won't neglect the point spread, the money line aspect of the contest as well.
1: Andy Isco on the Minnesota Vikings this week, right on the heels of his Jacksonville straight-up winning call last week. And once again, I want to remind our listeners to check out the LogicalApproach.com newsletter this week to find out all about the value of plus three and what it means in the National Football League. Andy, once again, a great job on the show this week. I hope the football gods are in your favor this week, as they always should be. And I'll look forward to visiting with you next week here on Mark Lawrence Against the Spread.
3: Thank you, Mark. I'd like to wish the same good fortune to both you, Victor, and to, of course, all of our listeners that we go out and uh, have a successful week in this uh, weekly uh, 11 to 10 battle.
1: Don't go away, guys. When we come back, we're going to put the final wraps in this edition of Mark Lawrence Against the Spread. I'll share with you my awesome ankle of the week and our complimentary place from Victor and myself when we're back in just a short moment here
0: tune mark will be back with his awesome angle of the week right after this You need guaranteed. That's mybookie.a as in Apple and G as in games. Tell them Mark Lawrence sent you. Only the biggest, only the best, only at mybookie.ag. Sign up today. To put a final spin on this week's show, let's do what Mark does best his awesome 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 angle of the week.
1: All right, guys, let's get to it. Our awesome angle of the week in the National Football League this week, and it comes directly. From both this week's Playbook Football Newsletter and the 2020 Playbook Black Book. That's a 118 page special insider's edition for handicapping football and college, NFL and college games, where I feature 10 all new, bet you didn't know, super systems. This is one of those super systems. It's called I Heard It Through the Grapevine, which ties into our Black Book theme of Motown music related articles. And what we're looking to do this week is to play against any NFL Super Bowl loser from last season, this season, when they're in non-division away games and are either a pick or a favorite. Just simply put, you lost the Super Bowl last year. This year, you're on the teams and teams and teams and teams and teams and teams and teams, and teams in this role. By fading them, we are 48-24-5 and five against the spread since 1987. That's a strong, solid 67% winning angle for over 75 plays. We're going to fade the San Francisco 49ers because we heard it through the grapevine to do so on the show this week. And with that, I'm going to hand it off to Victor King from King Creole Sports to find out what Victor's got on tap this week. And Victor, I know our listeners out there are itching to know perhaps maybe what Tuco has got on tap this week as well.
2: Man, oh man, our our King's best friend picked up right where he left off last week. If you joined us on the podcast, Tuco said to play over the total with the Mustache Man and the Jacksonville Jaguars over 18.5 points. He did all the heavy lifting in the first half of that game with 14 Jacksonville points. We finally got there with the, uh, his third touchdown pass of the day early in the fourth quarter, 27 points for Jacksonville A Really nice start for Tuco. That makes him now 14-4 and four since the start of last season, playing team totals. And we're going there again. Why not? Tuco said, give me the ball, Daddy. I want to earn a brand-new squeaky toy. So let's run with it this week. And we're going to be joining Andy a little bit, not on his Minnesota Vikings side play, which I think is also going to be a very, very big contest play this week. In fact, I know you even touch on the Vikings in this week's Playbook Weekly Newsletter, but we're going over the Vikings team total of 22.5 points in this particular game, with Indianapolis favored by three and the over-underline currently at 48. That means the anticipated final score is Indianapolis 25.5, Minnesota 22.5, and Tuco has taken the Vikings over the total, a pissed-off uh, Viking team, of course, that Andy just mentioned, Taking on an Indianapolis team. And I'm not going to forget the fact that Minnesota road games were very high scoring last season. After starting the season with two division road games, Minnesota ended up averaging 32 points per game on the road in their last six games to finish the year. Not only that, but when playing off a double digit straight up loss like what occurred in week one for the Vikings. They have averaged 27.8 points per game in the last three seasons. And once again, our boy Tuco is playing against the host, the host Colts for the second week in a row. Last week, it was Jacksonville over the total against the Colts. This week, it's the Vikings over the total against the Coast. And why not? Indy has allowed 27.3 points per game at home against NFC foes. That's non-conference competition over the last 10 years. They've also allowed 32.0 points per game when playing off a straight-up same division loss. And finally, I got a couple of patterns from last year that apply in this particular game. For an example, NFL home teams allowed 28.4 points per game when both teams came in off a straight-up favorite loss. And that's the case this week, as both of these teams were favored uh, in Week 1 action. Also last year, NFL non-division road teams averaged 30 points per game on the road after scoring 34 or more at home. And that was the case for the Vikings last week, who, despite losing by double digits, scored 34 against the Green Bay Packers. And finally, last year, uh, NFC Road Dogs of less than five points averaged 26.4 points per game versus any AFC opponent. So Tuco is going there again, fading the Colts, playing the Vikings, over 22.5 points. That's for his team total of the week. And in this week's tip sheet, Mark, we've got three over-under selections, including a selection in a Thursday night game between the Bengals and the Browns. So you want to check out this week's totals tip sheet. In addition, you want to check out this week's Playbook Football Newsletter. Both publications now available for download at playbook.com. And for our King Creole service, uh, 1-0 and in college football. We've got one game that we're targeting in terms of totals this week on Saturday, and we'll have that up on Friday. In addition, on Friday, our four-star NFL over of the week. It's going to be our very first four-star best bet of the young season. That'll be available on Friday as well, and that's off a winner last week with the Saints-Bucks over the total. So check out playbook.com during the middle portion of the week here for our newsletters. And also uh, later in the week for our college football over under selection, our uh, NFL four-star over of the week. And I think somebody's got a special $69 weekend of winners that he's promoting as well, Mark.
1: Well, thank you, Victor. Yes, we've got a big $69 weekend special on tap this week. You can get on board by logging on at playbook.com or call me toll-free at 1-800-321-7777. And just a quick note, our friends at mybookie.ag are offering a double your first deposit bonus offer. All you need to do is log on now at mybookie.ag, mention the promo code playbook to double your first deposit. That's mybookie.ag or call them toll free 1-844-866-2387. My complimentary play on the football show today is on Louisiana Tech, who we were on last week they were postponed. We're going right back with them, plus the points against Southern Mississippi. Noting that the Bulldogs from Louisiana Tech are coached by Skip Holtz, the best underdog coach in college football, currently 51-26-1 and to the spread, including 7-2 and when taking points in season openers. With Southern Mississippi head coach Jay Hobson quitting after Game 1, and 30-year-old Scotty Walden, the new head coach for Southern Mississippi, having little prep time to get his team ready here. We're going to grab up the points with Louisiana Tech for our complimentary play on the football show this week. And that's going to put the final reps of this edition of Mark Lawrence Against the Spread. I want to thank our co-host Victor King from King Creel Sports, our good friend Andy Isco joining us from Las Vegas from TheLogicalApproach.com, and for our good friend Jack Reynolds, who we know is listening from above, Until next week, this is Mark Lawrence reminding you to always remember to bet with your head, not over it. And good luck as always.